DJ Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne the God. Wake that, that ass up. up. The, the Breakfast Club, Club is on. Right. I have to live last. I'm talking to the Breakfast Club this morning. Okay, okay, okay. I love coming here. I'm never not going to come here. You guys are good to me. In return, I'm always going to be good to you. For a lot of people in the hip-hop generation, The Breakfast Club is where people get their information on the topics, on the artists, and everything like that. In that aspect, radio is still important. The Breakfast Club. When my name come up, respect it. Good morning, Angela Yee. Good morning, DJ Envy. Charlemagne the God. Peace to the planet. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Pump day. Yes. And today is so special. I'm gonna tell you why. Why is today special? Um, I think next week on the second, it'll be 10 years that we've been doing the Breakfast Club. Correct. For 10 years, for this whole week, the week of Thanksgiving, we've mm-hmm. never, ever been here live. No. We ever. Go on vacation. Not one time. We're all, somebody, we're always out of town. It's just the week of Thanksgiving, we're always off. Well, so on the eve of this white man's holiday, mm-hmm. we decided to come in for one day and one day only for a very, 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 very special occasion, a very special reason. All right. There's a book out. Mm-hmm. It's called A Promised Land. A Promised Land, right. It's written by a guy you may know. What's his name? It's kind of popular, I guess. Who is he? What's his name? Uh, I mean, he was the 44th president of the United States of America. What's his name? Barack Hussein Obama. Never heard of him. <laughs> Who's that? Barack Hussein Obama. Who's that? And um, I guess you could say we were summoned. Right, we, we, we were summoned. <laughs> we don't have uh, all of that uh, fancy ass technology that Oprah has, to where she can be in her house somewhere and make it look like her and Barack are in the same room. No, we don't have that. So, so we had to get COVID tested and uh, mm-hmm. fly down to DC and make sure we were properly socially distanced to sit and kick it with President Barack Obama. Well, not only that, they they uh, took all our social security numbers, well, our that's full names. That's, that's, that's regular protocol, though. You know, made sure that, uh, that's regular I guess we weren't on protocol. the list. Yeah, you actually also need that. Don't you need that to get the COVID test, do you? What? What? Or no? No. What? You don't need that information? No, all no, that, all that, not your social. All that information was um for, for Secret Service protocol. Yeah, just to run it, make sure we were good money. Yeah, I've been vetted before. I actually, first time I ever got vetted, I didn't pass at all. Yeah, we all been vetted, but you didn't pass that one. Yeah, I didn't pass that one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, since then, uh, my life has changed. <laughs> You're a different person. Right. Okay. So President Barack Obama will be joining us next hour. We're going to kick mm-hmm. it with the, with the president. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only reason we're here. Yeah, that's the only reason we're here. That's we're the only supposed reason to be we on vacation. Uh, I didn't even know we were coming in. I was like, wait, we have a show tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I think it's only it's right. It's only right. It's and, only right. He's and, the president. And we sat and chopped it up with him for about almost an hour. Yeah, right? almost so, an hour. We're also, we usually, uh, you know, play snippets of the interview on the mm-hmm. air and then put the whole thing up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. This morning, we're playing the whole interview. Yeah, we're playing the whole interview. In the 7 o'clock hour. Yeah. So, uh, we'll, we'll get into all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's yeah. it. It's the only reason we're here. That's the only reason we're here. Anything else y'all got? If y'all do, feel free. Yeah, we got <laughs> okay. We got front page news next. What are we talking about, Yee? Well, let's talk about who Joe Biden has selected for his cabinet. And let's also talk about coronavirus. This vaccine is supposed to be coming in a couple of weeks. And we'll give you some updates on the side effects. All right. We'll get into all that when we come back. Keep it locked. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast What's Club. What's happening in the next hour? 
Yes, Barack Obama. President Barack Obama will be joining That's us. That's right. And we're playing the interview in full. So no songs in between, no commercial breaks. No, it's commercial breaks. Not in between, no. 40, it's, 40, it, no, it's not. It's 15, 15, 15. No. It's you sure? 45 minutes straight. 45 minutes really? straight. Yeah, 46. How y'all finesse that? I don't know. I just asked them right there. I'm like, no commercials? They were like, nah, we're we going we gonna to rock it straight. It was like, only a couple people can do that. They was like, uh, Barack, Hove. Beyonce and Michelle Obama, the only four people that can get on the yeah, air without playing. You know, yeah, that's debatable. We can debate all of those. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, let's get some front page news. I ain't gonna front. I don't even know who's playing football tomorrow. I don't even know. I'm I've been chilling at home. Come on, man. Cowboys, Redskins. You know that. Who cares about those? Exactly. It's a waste of time. They should be social distancing. <laughs> away from the NFL. Away from, away okay. from the NFL. All right. What else we got, Yee? Well, Joe Biden is building out his cabinet since we're talking presidents. That's our president-elect. And there's 15 executive departments. And so far, of course, Kamala Harris, we know as vice president. Secretary of State is Anthony Blinken. Secretary of Homeland Security is Alejandro Mayorkas. And that's a big one because he actually is the first Latino and he's also the first immigrant to serve in that position. So that's going to be... a a big deal right now because, you know, we've had a lot of issues with immigration in this country and DACA and all of that. So this could be something. And he says that he would have never seen himself in that position. So he's hoping to help out people who are fleeing from persecution Mm -hmm. and other things coming to this country for a better life. That's amazing. All right. Yes. And um, Donald Trump is finally, it seems like, allowing this transition to happen. Joe Biden had tweeted out the election is over. It's time to put aside the partisanship and the rhetoric designed to demonize one another. We have to come together. So, yes, it looks like begrudgingly we are going to move forward. I just don't see it and- ending this normally. I, I just I just don't see it. I mean, it's, you know, it's relatively normal by Trump standards. Yeah, it hasn't been but, normal. Really. But I don't see it ending just, just normally. I just don't see it. I think you're going to pardon mad people, though. He pardoned him. He need, well, he need to start with himself. I don't know if he can do that. I was watching that on CNN last night. I don't, they don't know if he can actually do that. It's never been done before. There's nothing in the Constitution that says you can't, if I'm not mistaken. But doesn't he have to be charged right, and locked up first? I have no idea. Hmm. U.S. COVID-19 cases could reach 20 million, they're saying, by Inauguration Day on January 20th. But by December 10th, they're saying that they could start uh, soon after December 10th distributing the COVID-19 vaccine. They are going to start doing some testing in pregnant women and children, though. So, you know, a lot of people are reluctant to actually uh, take this vaccine. But Mm -hmm. right now they have to show that it's safe and make sure that group can take it. They also said that uh, doctors are saying that the CDC should warn people about the side effects from COVID vaccine shots. And they said it will not be a walk in the park. So you have to get the first shot of the vaccine and then you have to come back and get a second shot also. It requires two doses and one doctor is worried patients will come back, won't come back for a second dose because of the unpleasant side effects after the first shot. That could include uh, symptoms like muscle pains, chills and headaches, which is also symptoms associated with mild COVID-19. And they also need to make sure people are aware of that. Yeah, I just think it's whack that, uh, as you know, you hear Governor Cuomo in New York and you hear Joe Biden say that we have to get this to the African-American community first because, you know, they're the ones being impacted by it the most. They don't feel like that about anything else. They don't feel like that when it comes to better education. They don't feel like that when it comes to economic equity packages. You know, they don't feel like that when it comes to, you know, mental health care resources in our community. So why are they in such a rush to push this vaccine in the hood? That's what I want to know. 
thought they were giving it to healthcare workers. Yeah, they're giving the healthcare workers, and then they said the elderly, and then uh, everybody else. Governor Cuomo and Joe Biden both said verbatim out of their mouth, "We have to get this to the African American community first because it's impacting them the most." Yeah, but the, I, I know they're giving it to healthcare workers first. I know that was the first step, and then they said uh, elderly, but. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm at a point right now where I'm like, yo, it is what it is, man. If I got to take this vaccine, I'm going to take the vaccine. I'm, I miss my mother and my father. I can't see them on Thanksgiving. I, I probably won't see them on Christmas. I'm tired, man. I want to see my mama. Can I hug my mama? Can, be, I, can, my, can I give my dad a hug? I'll be right behind you. Go, guinea pig, go. Go, guinea pig, go. Well, go. Can, Get out there. Go do your thing, all baby. Right. All right? It might make your beard be permanently black. <laughs> all right? You might not have to dye it no more. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm going for it, man. I, what if your beard turns black but your skin turns gray? <laughs> after you take that damn vaccine. That's all right. I won't die, though. But, but as long as I can. You don't know. You know, there was so many people dying. Like, this has been an FWA, and I want to I see my mom and my pops. Like, I want to spend time with them. I want to spend time with them for Thanksgiving. I don't want to Zoom them for Thanksgiving. That's, it's whack. Well, guess what? Thanksgiving is tomorrow. I know. Okay, so if somebody I, pulls up on you today with a vaccine, you better not take it, dumbass. <laughs> All right? Hey, I heard you want to see your mom with them tomorrow. I got something in this needle for you. <laughs> that might be heroin. What's wrong with you? That might be heroin. And as far as Joe Biden's cabinet, Dr. Ruth Simmons needs to be his secretary of education because we all know the greatest and most long-lasting form of systemic racism uh, has been in the education system. So it is not a black person that's going to be um, tre- Treasury Secretary. Ruth Simmons should be uh, Secretary of Education. Dr. Ruth Simmons. Googler. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is your front page news. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up right now. Yeah, we are live. Usually we're on vacation right now, but... uh. Uh, we have an interview next hour with somebody you might know, uh, President uh, Barack Obama. You know that yes. guy? Yeah, we're going to be kicking with President Barack Obama. No breaks, uh, no commercials, uh, no interruptions with music. We're going to be talking to him straight. That has never happened the 10 years we've been up here, I don't we've think. We've never done that because we always just put uh, pieces, of no, regardless of how long the interview is, we always just put pieces of it uh, on the air, put the full thing up on YouTube. But, you know. It's right. a holiday week, man. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. We ain't supposed to be here no way. Right. All right? All right. Well, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. I'm dialing. I'm dialing. Hey, what you doing, man? I'm dialing. I'm calling call you. This is your time to get it off your chest. Whether you're mad or blessed. 800-585-1051. We want to hear from you on The <laughs> Breakfast Club. Hello, who's this? This is Janelle. Hey, Janelle. Get it off your chest. I just want to have a clues bomb drop for me on my birthday Saturday. Happy birthday, Janelle. Happy birthday. What are you doing this year? Um, staying in house. I'm glad you are staying in house. Yes. Just as I just like yes. to see what creative things people are doing for their birthday during this time, because my birthday is coming up too, and I don't think I'll be doing much either. Well, we were gonna go to Sloppy Chops, me and my husband. Oh, I love Sloppy Chops. Hey. Sloppy yes, Chops. They open. What you is can sloppy go by chops? No, we're going to be takeout. They're only, do take take out. Out. They're only doing takeout. They're only doing takeout. They're only doing takeout now? Yes. yes. We're only the restaurants sloppy are closed. Chops. Sloppy Chops is a restaurant yeah. in Detroit. What up, though? They serve the most amazing seafood and steaks and food. Uh, I went there, what, like a week ago? Two weeks ago. Yes. I'm yeah, so BET actually just did a, a giveaway with them yesterday for families, uh, and they just gave away free food all day. There's a bunch yeah, of brothers yeah. that own that. They own a couple of, uh, uh, another one called Slappy Crabs, I believe. Crab. Yep. Yes, downtown Detroit. Downtown I love it. Detroit. Brothers, oh, oh. brothers doing their things, man. Yes, yes. So clap it up for Janelle. Clap it up okay, for you Okay, Janelle, guys. happy so, birthday. Yes. Happy birthday, and I'm proud of you guys for this interview. I'm proud of you guys for everything you guys are doing. Congratulations. God bless you guys. 
God bless the world. Let's heal together and let's get this coronavirus under control. Thank All you, right. Janelle. Okay. Beautiful Sagittarius. My wife is a Sagittarius. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Let's go. This is your time to get it off your chest. Whether you're man or black. Say it with your chest. We want to hear from you on The Breakfast Club. So if you got something on your mind, let it out. Hello, who's this? Hey, this is King Gemini, man. How y'all doing? What's up, brother? Get it off your chest. All right, so um, last night, right? Uh-huh. I was performing oral sex with my girl and all that, right? And yep. she's about to climax. And she farts in my face, man. Oh, you got pink Oh, that eye. means you was doing it. That means you was doing it real good. Means you got pink eyes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? I ain't, I ain't got pink eyes. But uh, real quick, hey Charlamagne, can you do me a huge favor, man? I will not fart on you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare ask me to. <laughs> no, I was wondering if you can send me a book or something, man, and have Barack Obama sign it for me. That would be great. What? <laughs> I don't have it. I only have one copy of A Promised Land. Oh. Oh yeah, man. I only had one. I only he only sent us three copies. He sent one for each of us. I don't, I, I, and I'm actually sending mine to my mom to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And somebody oh, stole mine too. in the in the mail, so I had to go buy another one. Yeah, oh it, it, man, I was really hoping on that one though. <laughs> if real. I if I had it, it was yours. I mean, I got a copy. I got a copy of Doctor Rita Walker's book up here. Oh, yeah, hey, I'll take that. And you I, got and, it for me, man. And I'll I send you a copy of mine. It's not like I sold 1.7 in the first week like Barack did. <laughs> I I'm doing, I'm doing, I, I, I do well too. in the book world, though. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I know. I uh, actually listen to your books. I ain't read them yet, though, but, you know, I listen to them. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to get your, uh, put you on hold, and they're going to get your address. We're going to mail it out to you, brother. Hold on, Stinky Eye. Hello, who's this? This is Tiana. Good morning. Good morning. Get it off your chest. All right, so Charlamagne. Yes, ma'am. Um, Good morning to you. Good morning to you and kids. Good morning. Good morning. So, yesterday, my husband, was he went up for parole, okay? Um, he's been locked up for like 19 years. I actually wrote a letter to President Obama a few years ago to see if he could maybe be pardoned. So, long story short, my husband goes up for parole. They give him 10 more years. Mm. Crazy. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't ask why. I didn't care. I said, what's up? You know what I'm saying? Like, you coming home or not? He's like, not again. He's sitting here. And I'm like, some bullshit. Use my friends. That was crazy. I think I need to get men out here and don't take care of their kids 10 years. Period. So he already did 19 and they gave him another 10 and didn't tell him why they gave him another 10? He said they told him his case plan was messed up. Something dealing with the case managers. And I'm like, this is ridiculous because... Yeah, you need to, he committed a crime, but he, he paid his time. And he got a whole family out here. Like, I'm struggling to take care of my nine kids and my husband in prison. It's crazy. Something had to happen. Right. Something, he, he must have did something in prison for them to give him another 10 years. You know what, Charlamagne? Like, honestly, I don't know. I wasn't able to watch his hearing. Normally, they can let you watch it live stream. I wasn't able to. It wasn't aired. So I'm like, that was God, you know what I'm saying, saying, telling me to let me fall back and go ahead and let me handle this. I don't know what happened in that hearing. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. But I just had to get out of my chest. I've been crying since yesterday. And it's like, this is real. It's real. I'm it's so real. sorry, I wish I could tell you something to help you, but I don't even know what to say to you at a time like this, to be honest. I know. I know. It's okay. Like, no one has anything to say. It's all good. My kids keep giving me encouraging words. 
You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be strong. I'm up early. I couldn't even sleep last night. I'm up early. Like, what am I about to do with my life? Ten more years of being dedicated to a man in prison. I love him to death. That's my n***a. Like, I love him with all my heart. But... Right. Yeah, you can't do you you can't you can't you can't do his bid with him, you know, and and you know supporting him is one thing, but you can't put your life on hold. Man, I'm cool. I done had sex. You know what I'm saying? I'm 45. I done had enough sex to last me the rest of my life. I'm cool. I'm away from my man to come home. But I just think it's crazy. Crazy. We praying for you, man. Absolutely, man. Yes, we are. Lord have mercy. I wish I could do something else, but I don't know what else to do. Thank you for calling. Good luck and try to enjoy the holidays, mama. when, when the president comes in, tell him Brandon Gore, that's my husband's name. I wrote him a letter a couple years ago. Oh, we already did the interview, though. We did the interview on Monday. Oh, my God. Yeah, we... Yeah, we... Yeah, we ain't, but he's not the president no more. Yeah, and he's not the president. You, 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 I know. You have, you have to reach out to he Trump. He will forever be the president. Yeah, Trump, but that's all right. I'm sorry. Have a good day, guys. Thank you. All right. Jeez, all right. Well, get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. Now we got rumors on the way. Yes, let's talk about Grammy nominations. The Grammy Award nominations are here. And we'll tell you what some of the reactions are from who's nominated. All right, we'll get into that next. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Hey. Yeah. Morning, everybody. It's DJ yeah. MV, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the guy. We are the Breakfast Club. And uh, less than 15 minutes. What's less than 15 President minutes? President Barack Obama. We're going to be kicking it with President Barack Obama. We yeah. were uh, summoned. Yeah, to D.C. And you know what's so interesting? Um, we're always off this week. Like, we're never, ever here the week of uh, this white man's holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, since we shot down to D.C. because we don't have the fancy technology that Oprah has to Correct. make it seem like we're just all in the same studio. We actually had to get COVID tested and go down there and socially distance and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that conversation will play back uh, next hour. Yeah, that's right. In less than uh, 15 minutes. So let's get to the rumors. Let's talk the Grammys. Listen up. It's just in. All the gossip. gossip. The rumor report. Gossip. With Angela. Angela Yee. It's the rumor report. The Breakfast Club. Now, we said we don't have the technology to do what Oprah did. We don't even have the technology to get this thing working right. Uh, Yee is in Detroit, <laughs> and we don't know what's going on. Yee, you there? Yee? What up, though? Okay, <laughs> Yee's not there. All right, so let's talk about the Grammy Awards and some of the nominations that came out. Did you hear? Did you see some of these nominations? Uh, Yeah, I saw some of the fuss on social media yesterday, but, you know, it just... It just bugs me out when I see all these pro-black folks really giving a damn about the white man's validation. Mm-hmm. But continue. So uh, let's go through some of these nominations. Best rap album. All right. Uh, D Smoke with Black Habits, Alfredo, Freddie Gibbs, and the Alchemist. J Electronica, a, wit- a written testimony. King's Disease, Nas, and uh, I think it was one more. What is it? Royce the 5'9"? Royce the 5'9". Royce the 5'9". Yeah, Allegory. Royce Allegory. Um, all great projects. I haven't heard D Smoke. Salute to D Smoke. Um, I, I, I honestly slept on the brother. I definitely haven't heard uh, Black Habits, but uh, all of those other albums, they deserve to be there. I just feel like Little Baby should have been there with Little my Little Baby turn. definitely should have been there. I feel there, like I Roddy Rich should have been there with uh, Roddy Rich should have been there. Excuse me for being antisocial. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think um, Conway the Machine or Benny the Butcher should have should should have been should have been in there too. Especially Conway Project was phenomenal. Yeah, it was, and it's been out long enough where it should have been nominated. I agree. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I, I love Jay Electronica's album. I love a written testimony too. I, I might be one of the few people, <laughs> based off the conversations that I be having. Really. 
Um, yeah, a lot of people, I, I think people had too high expectations for it. Really? Only because they've been waiting for a Jay Electronica project for so long, and it had all those whole guest appearances. I, I think people were... I get, thought it was dope. It, they had a very, very high expectation for it. I thought it was phenomenal as It got well. washed away, and I don't know why it got washed away. It was something that happened right during that time. I don't know if it was George Floyd or if it was the pandemic that hit right during that time. A little bit of both. And then the album kind of got washed away because they were supposed to go on tour. It was supposed to be a huge announcement, but I, I, I really love Jay Electronica. But based off that category... Uh, Little Baby definitely should have been there. Like I said, Roddy Rich and one, of the, one of the Griselda brothers. I think either Benny or Conway. But uh, for that category, I get at the Nas King's dream. Personally. Yeah, Nas King's, King's, personal. King's disease. And, and King's Nas disease. has never got, King's you said King's dream, King's but it's King's disease. disease. And Nas has never gotten a Grammy. Never got a Grammy? Who never, cares? Nas never got a Grammy. So Nas should, should definitely win that this year. Uh, best rap song. The Bigger Picture, Little Baby. Who else? Uh, the Box, Roddy mm. Rich. Okay. Laugh Now, Cry Later. I felt like that just came out. Uh, Rockstar, The Baby, Roddy Rich, and Savage, Beyonce, and Megan Thee Stallion. I don't know why Savage is in the best rap song, though. Uh, I guess, yeah, I guess they so. Yeah, yeah, they were rapping, but I, I, um, I think Savage. You think Savage wins that? I think Savage wins that, or The Bigger Picture. Um, I, I don't know what the metrics are. I'm be honest with you, I don't care. Like, it's like, you know, I see everybody getting upset about the Grammys, and I'm like, yo, who cares what them culturally clueless white people think? You know, if I had to pick a song, my personal favorite out of that bunch, it probably would be Bigger Picture. Bigger Picture. My little baby, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rockstar is a bigger record, though. Rockstar is huge. That drum. I'm just letting yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But Savage was huge, too. Savage was huge. Not as big as Rockstar, though. See, I don't know what the metrics are. I don't know what the metrics are. I don't know what the metrics are. I don't know. Well, The Weeknd tweeted out yesterday, the Grammys remain corrupt. You owe me, my fans, and the industry oh. transparency. Now, listen, The Weeknd definitely got robbed because, you know, uh, the Grammys, I don't look for them to hip-hop, look for them for hip-hop, right? But I definitely look for them for, I guess, the R&B, mm-hmm. pop stuff. The Blinding Lights was the biggest record of the year, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, by, by whatever metric you can measure. And Heartless, another big song on the album, too. It did really well. Well, album of the year, they put uh, Taylor Swift, Post Malone, uh, Too much goddamn mayonnaise already. Let <laughs> the drop. Black um, Pumas. <laughs> what is Black Pumas? I don't know. Uh, Coldplay. Oh uh, my God. Jacob uh, Collier. That's, that's Get his name. Get the goddamn drum. Haim. Drum. H A I M. I don't know who that is. Drum. And Dua Lipa. D D U. I don't know any of this. Drop the drum. Drop the drum. Too much goddamn mayonnaise. Too much goddamn And then they got Janae Aiko. And and what? Almeria. All right, give it to Janae Aiko. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't know nothing else. No, I don't know nothing else. She's a, a person of color. Oh, give it my to goodness. Aiko. oh, my goodness. All right. Well, that is your rumor report. We don't know where he is. Uh, like we said, Oprah has the, the dope technology where she could look like her and Barack are in the same room. We don't yes. even have enough technology to get Angelique on the line. But we were in the same room with President Barack Obama. We definitely we went were. To, we went down to D.C. to have the conversation. So that conversation will be coming on shortly. All right. So keep it locked. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Yeah. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast What's Club. What's happening? Listen, we're only here. Okay, mm-hmm. listen. Uh, next, next uh, December the 6th. Correct. That's Sunday. 10 years. That's Sunday, I believe. That the Next Breakfast Sunday. Club has been on the air. And mm-hmm. for the past 10 years, during this week of this white man's holiday, we never are here. Right. <laughs> right? You used to take vacation. Always. And where we've been, we've taken vacation all week. Uh, just Monday, we had to fly down to D.C. We were summoned because uh, the 44th president of the United States of America has a book out called The Promised Land. And he wanted to do the Breakfast Club. Right. Okay. We don't have the fancy technology that Oprah has, so we had to go down there. All right. We did our Correct. COVID test. We socially distanced. And we had a great conversation. The yeah. only reason we're here today is because this conversation is airing. Yeah. In we, a few minutes. Yeah, we uh went went down to a hotel in DC and 
it was it was it was dope. I didn't know what to expect. You know, is it, when when he walked in, it felt like he was one of our brothers. Just one of one, I don't want to say one of the homies, but it he just seemed so cool, so relaxed, so inviting, so. Just felt like a I don't I don't know how to still a politician it. still a politician but it's, a politician. it felt like a Thanksgiving dinner where he was just cool like on some cool he ain't gonna say all that I, I am still a politician so what does that mean he can't be cool being a politician yeah he was definitely cool I met some asses a uh, politician that was ass you know really yeah oh name some names no <laughs> I want to know no, no. <laughs> name some names no I mean it's a, it's a certain level of uh. It's a, it's a certain level of foolish that you have to be in order to be a politician, though. Because you're always on, right? Like, you can't always be happy. Correct. You know what I mean? You, you got to tell people what but they want to hear. He was real about things, though, and he was definitely very transparent in the book. Very transparent in the book. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk to President Barack Obama when we come back. Keep it locked. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Stop Club. Screaming. I know. This is what we do every night. You were talking nice and low. This is how we talk every day. Jesus. And it, it wasn't coming in hot, and now you are. Well, now we are. We have a special <laughs> guest. He served eight years as the 44th president of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, President Barack Obama. Never heard of him. Hey. Never heard of him. No. <laughs> you know what? I heard of y'all. <laughs> and I appreciate you guys having me. It's wonderful to see you again. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Now, we don't have much time, so let's get right into let's it. Let's do it. A Promised Land. Why is that the title for your book? When I think about America, I think about both where we've been, where we might be going. Uh, I'm reminded of Dr. King's speech, the famous speech he gave uh, shortly before he got shot about, uh, I might not get there with you. But I've been to the mountaintop, and I and I see the promised land. And I think that that idea that we're not where we need to be, mm-hmm. but we still act on the faith and the belief that we can get there. That's how I think about America. That's how I think about you know my own political journey. Uh, it that's not one where uh, it's ever going to be finished. It's not one where racism is gone or inequality is gone. But but, but we can continually try to do better. That was the, the spirit uh, that I wanted to communicate. You say in the preface that America's ideals have always been secondary to conquest and subjugation, a racial caste system, and that to pretend otherwise is to be complicit in a game that was rigged from the start. So my question is, if the game is rigged and we know the fight is fixed, how could black people ever believe in this idea of America being a promised land? That's one argument. And that's how some people feel. And obviously there's evidence of that. Slavery, Jim Crow, Native Americans being driven from their lands. On the other hand, what we also have stories of is uh, abolition and the civil rights movement and you know, folks fighting for their freedom and each generation passing on uh, a legacy of struggle that results in something a little bit better. What I try to do, book as a whole, is paint an honest picture about how there's a gap between the myth of America and the reality of America. We'll never completely close that gap, but if we put in the effort, if we stay focused, reach out, then we can get closer to the ideal. You know, one of the the lessons I try to teach in the book about politics is it's never going to be perfect. We live in a big country with a lot of different points of view. 
we've got hundreds of years of oppression and discrimination that have to be overcome. We've got you know, the natural human impulses that you see around the world, greed, <laughs> power, you know, folks trying to get over on others. But you also see kindness, courage, folks looking out for each other, and a lot of goodness along with the bad. And, and in politics, the job is not to think that you're ever gonna eliminate all the bad. It's can, can you empower the good to, to make more kids get a better education, to make sure that some folks have better health care, to make sure that you know, there's less discrimination and that the police are more accountable. And if you, if you do that and you stick with it, you know, the distance that we've traveled, let's say just in my lifetime, we were talking before you know, we got on the air, I'm, I'm 59, I don't feel old. And in you know, human history, 59 years is a blink of the eye. None of us would have been sitting here 59 years ago. Uh, we couldn't imagine, you know, you guys having your own show that you control and that you produce. And I couldn't imagine being a former president and having a best-selling book. Uh, yeah, that just wasn't in the cards. And that was just, you know, in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so you, we, we, we can imagine if we keep working that maybe our kids, certainly our grandkids, if we do it right, they're going to be that much more uh, ahead of the game. Now, but you know, one thing uh, that we always have to remember is history doesn't just go forward, it can go backwards too. And if we're not vigilant, things can get worse. Uh, President Obama, I wanted to ask you something about Reverend Jeremiah Wright from in your book, because you've addressed it, Michelle Obama has addressed it. Do you think that in today's climate, the comments and the speeches that Jeremiah Wright gave would still be looked at the same way where you would have had to distance yourself from him? today? Yeah, you know, it's, look, it's, it's an interesting thing. As I write about in the book, you know, Reverend Wright is an example of somebody who, supremely gifted preacher, uh, Trinity United Church of Christ on the south side of Chicago, uh, had amazing ministries, still does. Um, I was very close to uh, a lot of people in that congregation as well as Reverend Wright. In national politics, if you can take out a bunch of sound bites that say, goddamn America, even if the context of it is prophetic and biblical and he's trying to describe you know, how somebody might feel, uh, you know, he, he wasn't promoting the notion that God was damning America. He was making the point that if you looked at slavery and discrimination, you could see the conclusion of people feeling that there was not in alignment with Christian values and America. But if you'd see a, a two minute soundbite, trying to explain that is too complicated. In my campaign, I had to constantly manage the fact that the truths that black folks experience on a day-to-day -day basis are not gonna be the same as the truths that the country as a whole experience. But if you wanna operate at the highest levels of politics, you have to be able to communicate and translate for uh, the country as a whole. And, and there were times where I was surprised by the reaction of folks generally, uh, you know, white voters to certain things that to me didn't seem like it was something they should be surprised or upset about.
Um, and I suspect attitudes would probably be a little bit different now. And I give, uh, to give one example that I use in the book, um, when uh, Professor Skip Gates gets arrested in his mm -hmm. own house, I write about the fact that in a press conference, I'm asked about it and I said, well, you know, I think the police probably acted stupidly in arresting a, you know, a 60 year old professor who's got a lame leg in, in his, his own, own house, house. after he's shown them ideas. Even if he cussed out the police, all they have to do is just leave, right? And that was treated with a, you know, all kinds of controversy and my polling with white voters dropped drastically because the notion is somehow I was insulting the police. I think today, in light of everything that's happened and part of what happened this summer, in terms of raising awareness of potential bias in the criminal justice system, I suspect that that would not have uh, seemed as much of a controversial statement as it was viewed at the time, even though at the time I didn't think it was particularly controversial. You talk about that in the Good Fight chapter, uh, the, the Henry Lewis Gates situation, and but you also say that wouldn't have happened to a white person in the same situation, but at the same time you said you wish you had have said that then, but you didn't. Um, so who, when we bite our tongue in situations like that, who are we trying to protect? One of the things that you, that I try to communicate in this book is what's the best way to uh, expand folks' understanding, right? The, you know, where, where do you see teachable moments? And there have been times where, for example, the tragedy in Charleston, uh, when Rem Pickney and others who were praying and invited a young white man in to pray with them, he then shoots them. He's obviously, his head's been filled up with uh, racist ideology. That was a teachable moment where I could say some things that I might not have said in another context. Um, you know, and part of what I also try to describe in the book is the fact that the prophetic voice that you have, um, if you are a civil rights leader, if you're a Malcolm, if you're a Martin, is not gonna be the same voice as if you're a politician. Because politicians, the whole thing is, I've gotta figure out how do I get this white senator from this conservative state to maybe support this bill. That's different from me teaching as a civil rights leader or a movement leader. And each, uh, each of us have different roles to play in that process. And uh, you know, I, I think that <laughs> you know, as, as, as one of my, uh, I think, uh, staff people I write about in the book when I'm running, he says, uh, you know, white folks, they notice you, you don't look like uh, the other uh, 42 folks that have <laughs> been president. They, they're noticing this is already a radical break for them. Uh, and, you know, in the same way that Jackie Robinson, there were times where if he hadn't been the first, he would have whooped on somebody who's coming in sliding with spikes at him uh, or otherwise trying to injure him. But he recognized, all right, there's some things that right now 
um, I'm going to be more diplomatic about that maybe the next African-American president will not have to be. I think those are the kinds of things that you're constantly having to measure and, uh, and, and make decisions about. One thing I love about the book, President Obama, is you talk about your relationship with your wife. And you talk about how your wife is the boss and you're scared of her. <laughs> you also talk about how every decision has to be approved by your wife. You know, one thing that I, I, I love about the book is everybody talks about relationships and sometimes things seem perfect. Yeah. But in your book, you show that things aren't perfect. You know, I've been married 19 years. So when you talk about your wife and you talk about how hard it was and how she didn't want you to run, how bad did it get in the household? Did it ever get to the point where it was like, you know what, maybe this is not going to work for us? Or was that never an option when it came to a relationship? No, I, th I, think, I think there were times where certainly she thought this wasn't going to work. <laughs> M Michelle is somebody who uh, has uh, a different temperament than me. And, and I think she'd admit that she has more of a temper than I does uh, than I do. Um, I think she can get more pessimistic sometimes about things than I can. I tend to be pretty even keeled. Yeah, we'll figure this out uh, kind of approach. Uh, but as I write about in the book, sometimes that's that itself is frustrating to your partner, right? If you're all like, hey, honey, you know, relax. Why are you getting so excited about right. stuff? You know, then she'll be like, oh, you're just not listening to me at all. Right. Right. And I know I listen to you. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, it, it's not so bad. Well, what do you think? I'm overreacting. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you, you're, in, you're in that pattern. Mm -hmm. We've, so um, there's no doubt that there were periods, there were episodes um, where she was questioning whether the life that I had charted for us was compatible with what she wanted out of life. You know, she, you know, Michelle once told me something that uh, I think summed it up pretty well. She said, I have organized my life not to have a lot of mess in my life. And politics by definition brings mess into our household. Mm -hmm. You've got people that I would never associate with otherwise who now suddenly are talking about us or you know, have impact on our well-being, and I don't. That's not what I want, and I understood that. And and the sacrifice she made uh, is one that you know I've had to work off. You know, the like I, I I've, I've been my debt has been. <laughs> You're still paying that tab off. Never ends. It's, it's, it's like you know, never ends. It's almost like a payday loan. You know, it just keeps on. The interest was high. How did y'all get over it? Was it therapy? Was it friends? Was it reverence? Was it church? Was it prayer? Was it when the terms were over? <laughs> well, I think uh, all of the above. I, yeah, Michelle talked right writes about the fact that uh, you know we went to counseling pre presidency, uh, and that was when the kids were small. And I think anybody who's had small kids, you know, that's always a strain. You know, as much joy as they bring, there is that tension, especially if both uh, uh, spouses are working. Right. Um, and during the White House, look, I give a lot of credit to my mother-in-law because, you know, uh, Ms. Marion, you know, she would, Michelle would be hot, you know, she'd go upstairs. Uh, my mother-in-law was living on the, in, in the uh, suite in, on the third floor and 
Michelle to go up there. And I'm pretty sure she talked Michelle down a couple of times. Right. Um, friends. One thing we, Michelle and I both tell younger uh, couples you know, who, who are going through rough patches. Um, I think we were pretty good about the fact that even when things were tough, we never lost basic respect for the other person. We never thought that that person was a bad person. We never said things that would make it seem as if, oh, you just completely disrespect me. It was more, look, I, I love you, Barack, but you know, this is driving me crazy. Or, hon, you, you know how much I respect you, but. It, so, so I think that is part of what kept us uh, uh, able to, to sort this out, because we never doubted each other's intentions and, and our, the, the, the basic fact that, you know, my view of Michelle is, you know, she is a remarkable woman. Uh, even, you know, if she drives me crazy sometimes, I never thought that there was anybody who I would rather be with. You know, being that you're so even-killed, right? right? Did you ever take your frustrations from work home and did no. you ever do anything like punch a wall or what did you do when you got mad? You know, I, uh, I had, there were times where I would have a potty mouth in the Oval Office, but. Uh, we heard some of that in this yeah, book. We heard it. <laughs> we heard some of that in Which book. I appreciate. Because, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's important to be honest because part of what I, I uh, try to describe in the book is the White House, is, you know, and the presidency, Look, you're the leader of the free world. It's the most powerful office on earth. But it's also a job. And the West Wing is also an office. And you're going to have some of the same frustrations and mistakes and doubts and uh, mishaps as in any office, in any job. Which also means sometimes you're going to cuss a little bit because <laughs> stuff's frustrating. Um, working out was important. You know, we get get the, those workouts in. Sometimes, uh, you know, a dear friend of ours who, who was also a trainer, uh, Cornell McClellan, we'd uh, uh, it would get the boxing gloves out, and it didn't seem too know. fun. There's a lot of older people in the White House. Like you can't just say, "Let's play a pickup game." Those guys will pass out. You, you know, now I had my weekend <laughs> game though with Reggie Love, right? Who you know, and Reggie at that time was, you know, probably he just turned thirty. He wasn't posting up Joe Biden, and so no, we 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 couldn't play in, we couldn't play in the White House. We had our <laughs> we had our regular game. Reggie had his crew, and so we we had regular basketball games. Um, you know, a lot of times though, you know, you would just uh, try to take the long view in dealing with frustrations. If, if Mitch McConnell and the Republicans were blocking something for no reason, if they were playing games uh, uh, that actually had real consequences in terms of people being able to get health care or be able to get some relief uh, uh, from unemployment or what have you. You know, you just had to uh, remind yourself that you were in uh, a long-term contest and, and there were going to be ups and downs at any given time. But uh, that if you kept your eye on the ball, uh, that you, you know, sooner or later you could prevail. You know, in the, in the Yes We Can chapter, you discuss how you were frustrated with the constant need to soften for white folks benefit the blunt truths about race in this country. Do you, you still feel the need to do that after the last four years we witnessed? Well, I think we're all a little bit more 
um, open and aware. And one of the things that I was really uh, inspired by in the wake of tragedy was the response after George Floyd's murder. Um, because what you saw was not only people of all walks of life out there protesting, it wasn't just black folks. But when you looked at the polling, you actually saw that by a significant number, many more white Americans were willing to acknowledge problems in the criminal justice system based on race. And, Why do we have to wait on them though? Well, speak, to speak our truth to power. You know, what this comes down to is how do you build coalitions to actually get stuff done? Because the truth of the matter is, is that in very few places are African-Americans a majority of the vote. That, you know, it's just simple math, right? So in, in right where we're sitting right now in Washington, D.C., uh, that would be the case. But there are not uh, a lot of states and there are a handful of cities where just the black vote delivers the power then to actually bring about concrete change. So as a consequence, then you've got to pay attention to how other folks are feeling. That may be frustrating sometimes. And as I said, that's not the job of everybody. The job of a writer like a James Baldwin or a Ta-Nehisi Coates, the job of uh, a you know, preacher, uh, the job of uh, an activist. When I was a community organizer, I'm thinking differently about what I'm communicating because I'm trying to mobilize a particular segment of my community, right? But when we are talking about politics, at the, particularly at the state or federal levels, well, you need to be able to persuade some white folks who are not going to think like you. And you may want to say things exactly the way you want to say it, but they may not hear it. Yikes. And if you don't hear, if they don't hear it, then it's not going to help you. I mean, listen, listen what, one thing that I think is absolutely important to recognize is that even people who are not in any way consciously anti-black, they don't want to be seen as the bad person. They're always going to be a little defensive. That's human nature. In the same way, by the way, that, you know, and, and you know, Charlemagne, you, you, you may be able to relate to this more as a man. Like, you know, if women start talking to men about their issues, a lot of men will get very defensive very quickly and say, you know, that's not me. You know, I, I treat my woman good or, you know, I'm not the problem or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And or if they're smart, they will listen and make adjustments. Yes. But, but the woman has to be allowed to be able to speak that truth to power. Of course. But, uh, you know, listen. And listen, you, part of the book, you talk about that. That's what I was going to ask you next. Right. Right. You talk about the women on your team and them having issues with men interrupting them constantly and taking their ideas and making it their own. And as a matter of fact, if that was happening, they were feeling so intimidated by it that they didn't even want to speak anymore sometimes because of that. And that was something that you guys had to address. And I feel like that's something that happens in the workplace 
all the time to this day, so. Absolutely. Part of what had to happen was the women had to bring it to me. Then we all had to talk about it. I had to get educated on what was happening because a lot of times this wasn't happening in front of me. As I said, the guys would be on their best behavior a lot of times in front of me, but in meetings where I wasn't in, suddenly you, you had some of these macho attitudes coming up. My point is, is that as we think about social change, whether we're talking about race, whether we're talking about gender, whether we're talking about sexual orientation, you know, this stuff is deep in everybody, right? We all have all these attitudes that have been built up over time, what we learned from our parents, what we learned from our communities, our neighborhoods. And there are times where the best thing to do is just be blunt and say, you know what, you know, uh, you are being racist or you are being sexist. There are times where the better thing to do is, listen, I understand, you know, you've got your own issues and this is, you know, I think you mean well, but let me tell you like how this is interpreted by me, right? Mm -hmm. And and in each of those situations, and there's no formula, right? You're trying to figure it out at any given time. How can I get other people to see my reality in a way that leads them to change their behavior, leads them to support changes in laws and institutions? And, uh, you know, but as, as you quoted, that's frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. you'd, not, you'd, you'd prefer not having to do this at all. I, you know, I, I'm not the first person to write about the fact that it is sometimes exhausting to feel as if you got to educate folks about just being treated normally and fairly. <laughs> like, I, 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 I prefer not having that legacy that we mm -hmm. have to deal with. With reading this book and, and all that you did for every community, including our own community, right. how do you take it when you hear, especially African-Americans and minorities say that, you know, they feel that President Barack didn't do enough right. for minorities, didn't do enough for black people? Black right. people. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I understand it because when I, when I got elected, there was so much excitement and hope, and I also think that we generally view the presidency as almost like a monarchy in the sense of, well, once the president's there, he can just do what, whatever needs to get done. And if he's not doing it, then it must be because he didn't want to do it. Well, we see it with Trump, so, so he does what he wants to do, so people assume. Well, <laughs> right, because he breaks laws. Right. <laughs> and, or, 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 or disregards the Constitution. But I think that anybody who goes into public life they need to understand that, yeah, you're going to get criticized because that's just the nature of it. If you don't want that, then you shouldn't be in that business. The good news for me was that I was very confident in what I had done for black folks because I had the statistics to prove it, right? So by the time I left office, you had seen uh, 3 million African Americans have health care that didn't have it before. You had seen... Uh, the incarceration rate, the number of black folks in prison drop for the first time in years. You had seen the juvenile correction system, 30% fewer people in there. You had seen uh, uh, black poverty drop to its lowest level since 1968. You had seen 
black businesses rise. You had seen black income go up. So, so I could just look at the data and I could say millions of black folks were better off at the time I left office than when I came in. And you know, the, what I have to accept, and I think what any president has to accept is the fact that, okay, so I got 20 million people healthcare, but there's still 10 million out there who don't have healthcare because Republicans blocked me from doing everything I wanted to do with Obamacare because some states didn't you know, accept Medicaid dollars even though it wasn't gonna cost them a dime just because they wanted to oppose me. So if you were black and you're one of those 10 million who didn't get healthcare because they were living in a state that uh, didn't accept the money we were giving them, I can understand why they would be upset. How come things didn't change? I, th I think people um, want to know, like, what did you do specifically for black people? Not the rising tide lifts all boats types of rhetoric, because we all know black people's boat got a hole in it. So the systemic things that were done to black people to put us in these positions, we need specific systemic things to get us out. So well, but, what, but what, what did I'm, you do what, in that what, what I'm saying, Charlemagne, is black poverty dropped faster than everybody else. Black incomes went up more than a lot of other folks. So, you know, the issue is sometimes we just didn't go around advertising that because once again, the goal here is to build coalitions where everybody is getting something so that they all feel like they've got a stake in it. Um, but a lot of my policies were targeted towards people most in need. Those folks are disproportionately African-American. Now, there are some things that, for example, us having uh, a civil rights division in the Justice Department that actually took seriously civil rights and imposed consent decrees on places like Ferguson and you know, changed sentencing guidelines so that we didn't max out on sentencing for all nonviolent drug offenses, but changed the incentives so that prosecutors were judged not by how long of a sentence you got, but did you get a proportional sentence? Was it a fair sentence? So those kinds of changes that we made, that's why I say there's a reason why the federal prison population dropped. Mm -hmm. By the way, at the same time, the crime also dropped, right? So we were able to show that you can have a smart strategy in terms of reducing crime without expanding incarceration. But the, tr the, the truth of the matter is, Charlemagne, at, at, a, at the end of the day, there is no way in eight years to make up for 200 years. Absolutely. And the question is constantly, how are you going to, you know, the way I, I've been describing it, because it, it's very much how I, I understand the presidency now, you're like a relay runner. You know, you're getting the baton from somebody else and all you can do is run your stage of the race. And then you pass it on to the next person. And on either side, uh, both who you got the hit from and who you're passing it to, um, they may not have the same priorities that you do. Uh, you know, you're, you know that you're not going to get everything done that you need to get done. But what you gotta do is, is 
do your best to get as much done as possible. And I think that's what we did. Would you say that your intention with this book was to explain to people also how difficult it was for you to get things passed and for people to see what you did do? Because like you said in the book, a lot of times it's not your policies and what you do, it's more what you say yeah. and the feeling that people have and that's what they pay attention to. So yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Look, let's take something like the, you know, the, the Recovery Act. So I, I walk in, the day I walk in, we're losing 800,000 jobs a month. The economy is actually contracting faster than it did during the Great Depression. And six months later, the economy was growing again and we had kind of stopped the free fall. But if you're somebody who had lost your job at that point or had lost your house, you're not feeling good. And we couldn't go around saying, look what, a, you know, patting ourselves on the back saying, look at what a great job we did because people are still hurting out there. I, I hope if somebody reads this, they come to recognize if we want to bring about systemic change, there are a whole bunch of different pressure points that we have to apply. It's not just the presidency. So I write extensively about the fact that I have a lot of power as president. I'm the most powerful person as president, but I still need a Congress. I still need to make sure that we have a majority in the House of Representatives, because if I don't, I can't get any, a single law passed. If I wanna change something on criminal justice reform, it turns out that the federal government isn't actually in charge of most criminal law. Most criminal laws made at the state level and determined by state prosecutors. Most police departments, the federal government has nothing to do with. That's determined by the mayor in that city. Whether they're prosecuted when they do something wrong that's up to the state's attorney or district attorney in that area. So when we think about politics, it is a mistake for us to say, okay, once I'm, I voted for president, I'm done. And I hope people don't repeat that mistake with Biden and Kamala Harris. Right now we've got two seats in Georgia coming up. If the Republicans win those two seats, then Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will not be able to get any law passed that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans aren't willing to go along with. Well, you got to do a better job of letting people know, hey, I wanted to do a lot more for people, especially black people, but I couldn't because Mitch McConnell was blocking me every chance he got. Well, that's why I wrote the book. That's I why. Know, I but everybody, everybody ain't going to read. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like, you know, well, you know, but, hopefully they'll see all that, these interviews. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That's why I got you, man. Come on. I hear some people listen to you. And since you're talking to, about Georgia with Warnock, I see they're giving him issues about his alliance with Jeremiah Wright. It's the you, same kind of stuff. Would and you look, tell look, him he should uh, step back and denounce him at this point? No. Look, first of all, it is a losing game at this stage to just go chasing crazy commentary. Uh, you know, there's some things you have to answer uh, aggressively, but you can't obsess over it. Reverend Warnock is, is doing a great job. If I'm him, I'm going to be emphasizing what am I positively going to do on behalf of the people of Georgia that, that uh, as opposed to just trying to play defense against a bunch of uh, crazy stuff that's coming out there. But, but listen, it's hard winning in Georgia, just like it's hard winning in Iowa, just like it's hard winning in a lot of the country. And, and one thing I think that I hope the book also reminds us of, you know, those of us who live in DC or New York 
or LA, you know, sometimes we do not have a, a, uh, a good enough sense of how big this country is and how a lot of folks do not accept at all things that we who are living in urban metropolitan areas just take for granted. I'm from South Carolina, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you go, they're big chunks of the country, even in our own communities, right? I mean, so, so I deeply believe that people should be treated equally under the law, regardless of sexual orientation. I was but, shocked you talked about that in the book. But we all, you know, I, I mean, I, I think they're big chunks of our community where that's still controversial. Um, people were surprised about uh, a lot of Hispanic folks who voted for Trump. But there's a lot of evangelical Hispanics who, you know, the fact that Trump says racist things about Mexicans or puts uh, detainees, uh, you know, uh, uh, undocumented workers in cages, they think that's less important than the fact that, you know, he uh, supports their views on, you know, gay marriage or abortion, right? It's hard to believe when you say this, but then you look at the way the government is ran, right? You, you, you talk about, for instance, you look at these big businesses and, and you look at their taxes and they don't pay taxes at all. Right. And then you look at somebody who is just getting by paying as much tax as possible. And you look at, for instance, the pandemic task force that you created. And right. then you see Trump come in office and he shuts that down. And then you think to yourself, damn, if that task force was still around with so many people have been dead, been killed, would we, we be able to save lives? We would have saved some lives. I, here, here's one simple statistic. Canada, right, right next door, mm -hmm. their death rate is 40% of what ours is per capita. I don't, you know, so for every, you know, 100 Americans that have died, only 40 Canadians have died. And that's just a matter of their government making better decisions. So. The, the question, though, is, is that you still had 70 million people voting for a government that uh, I would say objectively has failed miserably in handling just basic looking after the American people and keeping them safe. Why is that? Well, part of it is because, uh, you know, it turns out politics is not just about policy. It's not just about numbers. It's about the stories that are that are being told, and the story that they're hearing from Fox News and Rush Limbaugh, and you know, uh, in some cases inside their churches, is that you know Democrats don't believe in Christmas, and <laughs> you know, uh, you know, only care about minorities and black folks, and are trying to take your stuff and trying to take your guns away, and right, there's a whole story that's being told to them. And, and people end up feeling as if, you know what, we are under attack. That, you know, what's always interesting to me is the degree to which um, we've created, you've, you've seen created in Republican politics, this sense that you know, white males are victims. Like they're, they're the ones who are like under attack, which obviously doesn't jibe with both history and data and economics, but that's a sincere belief. You know, that's been internalized. That's a story that's being told. And, and how you unwind that is gonna be 
not something that, that is done right away. It's going to take some time. But we heard some rumors in this book, too. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how different? Because, you know, when I hear that, I'm like, damn, it feels like we're catering to white racists all the time. So I wonder how different would the dim strategy be if we lived in a one man, one vote society with no electoral college? Oh, I think that would help. Let's take a simple example like the Senate. So Wyoming, which has about half a million people, has the same number of senators as California with 33 million people, right? Mm -hmm. So what that means is, is that the US Senate is hugely skewed towards some of these lower population, uh, you know, more rural, much wider states than the big coastal states. And that's a, that's a big difference in terms of getting stuff done. Um, so so the, the bottom line is, is that uh, you know, our democracy is imperfect. Changing that is going to take a lot of effort because you got to get over the hump, even, even just to secure our voting rights. You know, one of the things that um, you know, is still at stake in Georgia is if we controlled the Senate, then it is at least theoretically possible to pass a voting rights bill that stops some of this voter suppression and intimidation that you're still seeing around the country. Uh, and that Republicans have been pretty blatant about just saying, look, we, we just, we're trying to prevent them from voting. But getting to the electoral college, getting to the way that the, the U.S. Senate is skewed. That would require us also potentially admitting Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico in as states, so that you know, which has its own politics. Um, you know, it would, it would mean you know, uh, having states change how they do their electoral counts. Um, I think the Constitution is outdated. Well, yeah, three fifths. They got to get rid of that language. <laughs> The, the way that that's diverse the country is, those yes. people weren't at the table no. when they wrote the Constitution. You're no. a constitutional lawyer. You gotta, we got to get no, the change on that. Well, there, there is a way to change it. It's mm -hmm. called amending the Constitution. The problem is that in order to do that, we have to have such an increase in awareness and activism. So there's a mechanism to, to amend the Constitution, but you just have to get everybody involved and focused in it. And this is part of the reason, you know, I, folks have been teasing me about how, you know, man, that's a long book. And, you know, you, <laughs> Michelle's was so much shorter. And, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there were times where I was tempted to, you know, let me just leave out this explanation or that explanation because folks, you know, they, they're not going to necessarily want to read all that. But part of what I wanted to do was just say, man, this is the stuff that we've got to know if we really want to change stuff. Like you have to know about the filibuster in the Senate, right? So this is a rule that wasn't even in the Constitution. This is just a rule that the Senate adopted that says you have to have 60 votes to pass legislation. You have to have a super majority. That even more empowers those little states, right? Because now they don't even need, they don't even need 50 uh, Senate votes, they just need uh, 41 to basically block 
anything from getting through the Senate. That's what happened to me in my first two years was I was having to get to 60 votes on everything, which meant that the number of senators that were basically representing 25% of the country had a veto power over anything we want to try to get done. But most people don't know that. I, you know, if, if, if you try to explain to the average, uh, you know, brother in the barbershop, man, that filibuster, you know, that's something. <laughs> I, don't know that. I, just, I just thought it when people talk for a long time. Yeah, well, but. <laughs> I learned about it in the book. Well, exactly. Book, yeah. But that thing is, which, by the way, had its roots. Uh, you know, the thing that it was most used for was to block civil rights legislation and, and anti-lynching legislation. And, and that thing is still operating. We have to know how that stuff works in order for us, if we really want the kind of changes you're talking about, where uh, taking away some of these barriers to everybody having their voice heard in government. President Obama has to go, guys. So we're right. so glad you cleared up some you so rumors, much. though. And listen, congratulations. 890,000 sold on the first day, which is breaking yes. all kinds of records. So it just shows the power that you still have. You, got a, little, you got a little name out here. First of all, I think it's because it was packaged with Michelle's book. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and uh, uh, but I appreciate you guys. You, you know, you talked about uh, black folks and, and how they talked about or thought about my presidency. I will say, even at our lowest point, the amount of, of loyalty and folks having our back, knowing, you know, that we were going through some, you know, challenges. Um, the prayer that we got, the, uh, you know, the blessings we we received from our own, um, that that is as much as anything, what helped uh, sustain us. It, it is something we never took for granted, and we were always grateful. So, for. so, so, what? One, one last question: What do Democrats owe Black people specifically? Do you think, especially well, after what we just did in this past election? Well, I look. I I think that Democrats and Republicans and America uh, owe black folks the same thing that all people are owed, which is justice and fairness. The difference is, is that for black folks, that justice has been deferred and denied for too long, or it's been half-baked uh, and in, insufficient. We've never done a full reckoning of, of what uh, was part of the essential history and building of this country. And um, I think in, in concrete terms, uh, you know, I don't wanna overstate what Joe and Kamala are gonna be able to accomplish in this congressional environment with that much resistance, because they're gonna be in a position that was even, that's probably even tougher than the one that I came in. But what I can say is, I think at the very minimum, everything they put forward, from jobs programs to small business loans to education to college debt issues, that they have to be mindful that the African-American community put faith in them to, to hear them and to understand Ordinary folks are going through every day, working hard, trying to make it, and that and that they shouldn't be making a decision without knowing. All right, this is going to have an impact 
uh, on on uh, on some of those struggles to make make people and and their families uh, a little more secure, a little bit better. It's not going to make things perfect, but if if uh, at the end of, of Joe Biden's presidency and Kamala's presidency, he too can say what I was able to say, which is people's lives are better. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, that's what you expect out of politicians. Is there a morally correct way to do what Trump did? Which is? As far as like, you know, catering to his base, you know, doing what he felt was best for his, his folks. Is there a morally correct way to do that? Get more votes. I mean, the truth of the matter is actually Trump hasn't gotten a lot. He's torn some stuff down. He hasn't. There's no law that he's passed that is transformative in this country. He, t- he passed a tax cut to give away some more money to, to rich folks, which Republicans have been doing that for years. But you, you, you can't name a piece of legislation that he's done that has actually changed the country, even for his own constituencies. So it's always easier to tear down than build up. Building up, that requires votes. And, and that's why I do not, I will come on this show every time if I hear folks say voting doesn't matter. Yeah, voting will not, it's not like winning the lottery. You don't, you don't vote and then suddenly everything's great. Voting is more like, you know, washing your car or ironing your clothes. It's part of the thing you do to make stuff work. And, and it's part of your responsibility uh, and it's part of all of our responsibility just to make sure that we don't see chaos of the sort that we've just seen over the last four years. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you for joining us. President Barack Obama, thank you. I enjoyed yes, it. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, you so much. Thank appreciate you so you much. You look happy and relaxed now. I, you know, I feel pretty good. <laughs> All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> hey, morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela yes. Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, good morning. Now, usually I do donkey of the day right here, but um, I'm not even supposed to be here today. The only reason I'm here is because, you know, uh, of what you just heard. You know, we, we had to go down to D.C. on Monday and mm-hmm. uh, kick it with Fofo, okay, President Barack Obama. Yes. So we came yes, in just to uh, that conversation. Mm-hmm. And as we have been saying, that book is 700 pages, but I read the whole book. I read the whole and book, it did too. explain. It did explain a lot, you know, just a lot of things that Barack Obama was trying to do when you, he was you in the White House. You sound like you're frying a turkey. you frying a turkey? I think you got to reset you. sound like you're frying a turkey. You shouldn't do that in the house, by you, the way. You got to reset. Take the deep fryer in, 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 well, you're in Brooklyn, or in the back, mm-hmm. and dump it then. Yeah, but the, the book was over 700 pages. I uh, started reading the book, and then, I mean, it was so long, I, I had to buy the audio, audio well, book. Well, I, I, I have a, a, a technique, right? My technique mm-hmm. is... I read when I'm at home, and when I'm in the car, I listen to Audible. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you another technique that I do. I put the speed to 1.4 when I'm at home. Too. I did that, too. And I read the book as well as listen to the person uh, uh, recite the book. Right, and it was 29 mm-hmm. hours long of him uh, yes. to- reciting the book. Even 20- sped up? Uh, sped up, I think it was like 27. I don't remember how long it you was. You know what I realized? I absorb information when I'm reading. Yo, you frying a turkey on the radio, yo. I know Thanksgiving is tomorrow, but you have to yeah, you stop. You might have to reset the whole, okay. the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, it was, um, so people asked, you know, how was the room? How many Secret Service people were there? Was Michelle Obama there? Well, it was uh, in, in the uh, one of the ballrooms in the hotel. The Kennedy Ballroom. Shout to uh, Crystal, who was the, the person Dropping that set the clues this up. Dropping the for and, Crystal. 
and made sure everything came together. Got one um, two bonds for Stephanie too. Stephanie, Stephanie as well. It wasn't too, it wasn't too many people there. I think it may have been maybe two, three people from his staff. I see maybe two Secret Service people. Uh, and it was just him. He came in happy, smiling, sat down. He was very polite. He was joking. Smelled like cigarettes. No, I'm making that up. He didn't smell like no damn cigarettes. <laughs> I'm making that up. He didn't, didn't smell like no damn making cigarettes. All that making that up. He didn't smell like cigarettes. But if you read the book, you know, he was at one point he was smoking 10 cigarettes a day. Yeah. You yeah. know, until he got on that nicotine gum. But, yeah. you know, go buy the book. But even, even I know um, behind the scenes when he was leaving, I asked him, because in the book, when you read the book, I, I'll tell you a little bit. They, he was saying that Republicans were making so many rumors up about him. They said that, uh, one, he wasn't born here in the U.S. We know that one. Another one that he it's was a, good one. a drug dealer. It's a good one. And the last one <laughs> is that he was uh, a gay male prostitute. Which Envy couldn't wait to ask. <laughs> and he asked behind the scenes. Which says a lot. What, what does it say? The interview was <laughs> over. Saying, exactly. The interview was over. We have a, even on camera. Do we have a clip of it when, mm -hmm. I, when I did ask him? Play it. What made you laugh on when he said that you were a drug dealer or a gay male prostitute? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, that <laughs> was my brother. Michelle don't think that's right. <laughs> she's, 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 she's still mad about it. And then Envy said, damn, it's not true. Yo, shut up, I didn't say that, damn. He was so disappointed. I didn't, I didn't he, say he that. He had a handful of money. He was ready. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, rooms are right upstairs. We're in a hotel. <laughs> I did. But he was a good sport. He, he was laughing. He was like, shh. You know, I thought it was funny. He said, Michelle didn't find it funny at all. But, you know, he, he, he was a good guy. He, it was, he didn't take anything personal. And hopefully we'll get to speak with him again and maybe interview him again. And well, that's a part two of the book coming up. Yeah. You know, because uh, A Promised Land only covers the first four years. Correct. So I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but, you know, it only covers the first four years. Right. And uh, we want to take your phone calls. I mean, you just heard, what, 45 minutes? How long was that interview? 48. 48 minutes mm, yeah. of B President Barack Obama with The Breakfast Club. What are your thoughts? 800-585-1051. We sure have, man. We've come a long way. Salute to everybody that was with us in the beginning. Mm -hmm. When <laughs> I was on this radio talking about sucking farts out of people's butts. And ah, vintage vaginas. Thank God for growth and evolution. Sniffing people's chairs. Yeah, we were pretty bad. Yeah. But we changed. All right. No, we grew. It's a difference. Okay. okay. See what I'm saying? What? What? What's on your mind? Nothing. What's on your mind? I'm opening up the phone line. 800. <laughs> Is that all you want to open this morning? 800. <laughs> <laughs> we just said we grew up. We just said we, we did. Evolved. And you going back. We did. 800. <laughs> 585-1051 is The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. It's topic time. Call 800-585-1051 to join into the discussion with The Breakfast Club. Talk about it. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, we if played you're a 48-minute 48, 48 interview we did with President 44. Barack Obama. Now, listen, it's very important to note that on December 6th, it'll be 10 years of the Breakfast Club. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. Mm -hmm. We're never here during the week of this white man's holiday, which is Thanksgiving. We're never here. We haven't been here in 10 years. We only came in today because we had this conversation with President Barack Obama on Monday mm -hmm. that we aired this morning. Yep. Uh, What's your thoughts? Shout to my mama. My mama, this is the first. My mama don't usually text me this early in the morning unless there's a, a problem or situation. My mama said, I just listened to the interview, and I'm very proud of you. Mm. It was great. My Aunt V uh, texted me this morning as well. So thank Did you to my Did she hear the question that you asked him about uh, being a gay male prostitute? What? She <laughs> might not have heard that part because that was after that the part, fact. But let's not remind her. Let's go to the phone lines. Hello, who's this? This is Deshaun. What's up, y'all? What's up, Deshaun? What's going Deshaun, on, bro? Deshaun, what's happening, King? Chilla, chilla. What, what did you think of the interview, bro? 
Yeah, I thought it was great. I really did. I learned a lot of things that I didn't even learn in high school. And I'm definitely about to go grab the book because it's all about education. You know, they're not teaching. The things that he's saying and then the things that he's writing in the book, they're not teaching us. So that's the only way that anybody is ever going to learn any of this stuff. Self-education and then learning from someone who's been through these things and going through the things and stuff like that. Okay. I agree. Thank you, brother. Hello, who's this? This is Tisha. What's going on, DJ Envy? What's up, Tisha? Good morning. Happy Happy Thanksgiving. Happy White Man's Holiday, happy Tisha. Thanksgiving. Hi, Charlemagne. Hi, Angela. Queen. We trying to get you back on. So what, what did you think? What were your okay. thoughts on the interview? I think, first I want to, like, you know, President Obama for taking the time out. 48 minutes is, you know, quite some time for a man, you know, of his stature. And him just kind of, like, educating people. And Charlamagne, you know, I appreciate you for asking serious questions. You know, sometimes you get, like, a little flex sometimes. But I think you kind of, like, put the gas to him a little bit and forced him to, you know, answer questions that the black people wanted to hear. I think it's unfortunate that black people sometimes we don't really educate ourselves. We just go with what is said and we follow it and then we spread it and a lot of times it's hate. But you know, I think that Obama could only do so much like he said and I think that what he did do was just enough and we need to also give him, you know, praise. Okay. I appreciate him shouting out, you know, God and saying, you know, his prayers is what really got him through. You know, I really, really appreciate President Obama. I appreciate both of you guys. Have a safe um, holidays. Thank and, you, And, you know, just love on your family more. We right, will. Well, thank you so much. And we appreciate you so much, Tisha. Thank you. Hello, who's this? Rico. Rico, what's up, Rico! Brother? Woke up Rilla. Rico Gorilla. <laughs> Woke up Rilla. Oh. Woke up Rilla. Hashtag. It's me again. I was on with y'all last week. Okay. Well, what 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 do you think about the uh, Barack Obama interview? You weren't memorable, Rico. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Charlamagne. Be quiet. <laughs> so, uh, Barack Obama, hearing him, um, I just want to say real quick. My dad met Barack when he was running for senator, and he asked for he asked my dad for a Newport. Um, yeah, that's what's so, up. Anyway, <laughs> that's what yeah, I'm talking yeah. about. So you got it. Uh, All right. Real Lucy. Real uh, so. Um, I just want to say I listen to y'all every day, man. Y'all really, really upgrading every day. Y'all getting better. When I heard him on the radio and I turned my car on, I was just like, damn, I can't move. I was like, you know, I I ain't get out the car. I sat there the whole time to listen to it. I don't know, man. You guys are doing great. Thank you, brother. And I can't wait to hear. Yeah, I can't wait to y'all edit it and put it on YouTube so I can share it. Oh, we're not editing it right uh, now. That's Oh, you mean like the clips? Yeah, yeah, we posting clips my on social grandma, media now. We're going to be posting my clips. grandma and grandpa, 82 years old, and they listen to you guys. Hey, hey. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm going to get your granddaddy some you Bluetooth for Christmas, man. Yeah, follow, follow me, uh, Izzo underscore 85. On all right, brother, all right, brother, all right, brother. Man, let the man shout out his click. Love y'all. All right, brother, love you back. All right, brother. Why you didn't let him give his page? He be so petty. Let I'm the man petty. shout out his people. I'm not petty. 800-585-1051. Uh, we just played our interview with President Barack Obama, 48 minutes long. What were your thoughts? Call us up. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Call me. Add your opinion to the Breakfast Club Top. Come on. 800-585-1051. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. Now, if you just joined us, 
We're talking about our interview with President Barack Obama. It just aired 48 minutes long. Yeah, man. I mean, we took we took time out of our busy schedules, you know, to sit down mm-hmm. with a fan. You know what I mean? To sit down with a, a man who's a fan of the Breakfast Club. You know what I'm saying? We, we, this, is, this, is, this is, listen, this is a giving season, right? We got to do some charity out here. Stop you know it, what man. I mean? Hello, who's this? Bro, this is Ed from Jersey City. What's up? What's up, bro? What did you Ed, what's of, happening, uh, King? Interview with President look, Barack Obama, man, bro. Look, look, I'm coming back from Walmart, right? I'm parking a car. I turn on the radio real quick. It's, it's Obama. I'm like, what? And he on 105.1. I'm like, all right. Yo, I loved it, man. I loved it, bro. It was so educational. I think we need more of that. Like the part on the Senate, like mm-hmm. you know, you know, like in a where, where I live at in Jersey City, the turnout is always so big during the presidential election, and then nobody comes out and votes no other time. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so it was so important. And then Angela, Angela, you were so sweet when you when you interjected with the um the the violence against women in the workplace, well, you know, the, in the professional environment. Mm-hmm. That was so sweet. Obama was like um. The guys, it was pretty much all right under my radar. But then when I step away, you got them a cheesy mo attitude. We have that so much, man. Right. I just appreciated that interview, bro. I really did. Thank yeah, you, bro. King. Thank you, brother. Peace, bro. Peace. Hello, who's this? Hey, this is Aisha from Indy. Hey, Aisha, Aisha from Indy. What's happening? Good morning. Good morning. I love you guys. Good morning. We love you. Good morning, energy, Aisha. What's happening? Uncle Charlotte, I got seven uncles, and you are by far my best uncle, my favorite. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Hey, so about about Obama. So I'm I'm a black woman in human resources, right? So when I'm at work, I got to turn it on. My family knows when I'm at work, they make me turn it off, right? So I got my my work voice, and then I got I'm at work. I'm Aisha. At home, I'm Isha. I feel like I I thoroughly enjoyed the interview, y'all. Y'all are the most dangerous breakfast of morning show. We get it, but I wanted a little bit more Barry. You want to move Barry? That's the politician. Yeah, you know, I, I know he's got a legacy to uphold. I get that, but I kind of wanted a little bit more Barry, the more human side. Yeah, I did. I felt like he he stuck with Obama. He he, you know, he was still professional. He did everything right. We will always love him. But I just wanted a little bit more. I wanted to know him a little bit more personally. I'm gonna be I honest like with he you. Turn if, it off. I think that's who he is. Like even if you read his book, yep. Don't get me wrong. Like he smokes, or he, he used to smoke. He drinks. You know, he curses, but. I think for the most part, that's who he is. He's yeah, like so he's too. that kind of person. Like he shows up in the world in that way, you know, always that looking way. to say the right thing. That's right. Moving the right way. I mean, come on, he's a black man taking who the high, taking the high road. Yeah, he's a black man who didn't have no scandal. Think right. about that. Right. <laughs> his only scandal was wearing a tan suit. That was the yeah. only scandal. Well, I, I'm getting his book. I haven't gotten it, but I'm with you guys. I think now I'm gonna get it on audio. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mama. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. Peace. All right. Well, the full interview you can check out on the Breakfast Club YouTube, YouTube page, page right, right now. now. We'll be playing clips uh, on our uh, personal social media, so you can definitely check those out. But definitely check out the full interview, man. I you think that's out, a like great said, way to end the year. Our 10-year anniversary is the Yeah, actually, I mean, listen, honestly, I got a lot of vacation days. I don't have to come back after this week if I want to. You know what I'm saying? Touche. I'm just saying. Too, too, I'm just touche. saying. But no, that was you great. You feeling froggy? Jump. Let's do it. No, listen, all jokes aside, it was a great it was a great conversation. Um It was. I really enjoyed sitting sitting down with the forty fourth president of the United mm-hmm. States of America, uh, President Barack Obama. And I just feel like that was a a culmination of everything that we've been doing the past couple of years as far as like having these conversations with these these politicians. You know what I'm saying? I think um, black political culture is something that I want to, 
I want to continue to push even when it's not an election cycle. You know, everybody gets excited when it's, you know, the presidential election. But what about the midterms? What about local elections? I just think that's something we have to add to our repertoire. Absolutely. You know, right. you got to be And another thing we keep on, on saying is also making sure that you know that just because you voted, it's not over after that. You still have work to do and you have to hold politicians accountable. It's not that you just expect them to hand you things. You have to be part of that process. Absolutely. Well... Y'all want to do rumors when we come back? Are y'all ready to uh, get about yeah. it? What y'all want to do now? I'm with whatever. We can leave right now if you want. Listen, I think we should talk about Dave Chappelle and his unforgiven that, that okay. he just put up. I think we need to discuss that, too, along with this, after this interview. All right, we'll do that right after that, though. We'll do that when we come back. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave right after that, right after the mix. All right, so don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. It's about time. What's going on? Yo. This is the Rumor Report with Angela Yee on The Breakfast Club. All right, well, Dave Chappelle posted another, I don't know if you would call it a stand-up, but it's called Unforgiven, and it's about 20 minutes long, and he talks about the Chappelle show being on Netflix, but he wasn't getting any money from it. You know, he said that previously. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what he had to say. I like working for Netflix because when all those bad things happened to me, that company didn't even exist. And when I found out they were streaming Chappelle's show, I was furious. So you know what I did? I called them and I told them that this makes me feel bad. And do you want to know what they did? They agreed that they would take it off their platform just so I could feel better. That's why I f*** with Netflix. Well, Netflix was smart to do that because they don't want to ruin any future business with Dave Chappelle. Absolutely. So, So that was a smart move. Very smart move. Yeah, they're in business with him now, so I would... And it's interesting how he said that he approached them about it and how that happened, and he wants to make sure other people aren't watching it. You know, it's a it's a weird thing, because you want people to watch the show and appreciate it, but not when you're not getting money from it. Well, you know, he, he asked a question in, uh, in Unforgiven that I thought was a very um, fair question. He said, you know, what, what they're doing is legal because he did sign the contract, but is it right? Mm. That's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's, that's a great question. All right, here's what he had to say about the boycott. I called my agent. I said, is there anything I can do about this show? And he said, no. You want something done right, I guess you got to do it yourself. So I'm not going to the agents. I'm coming to my real boss. I'm coming to you. I'm begging you. If you ever liked me, if you ever think there was anything worthwhile about me, I'm begging you, please don't watch that show. I'm not asking to boycott any network. Boycott me. Boycott Chappelle's show. Do not watch it unless they pay me. And you know what What else is interesting? It does play on other things besides Netflix. You know, it's on HBO Max, mm-hmm. and they are still streaming the show right now, and it's been on Comedy Central. It's been playing, so. Another, you know, another thing he said that stood out to me is when he compared it to uh, Three Card Molly, and he said, you know, uh, mm-hmm. he, he realized he couldn't win at Three Card Molly because all of the people he thought was just innocent bystanders were all in on it. Three card Monty, that just happened to me. I was like, what the hell is three card Molly? I was like, I don't know, he's taking drugs. Whatever, whatever they did to rob people in New York. But that's something very important to look out for. You got to make sure that your lawyer, your agent, your management, you got to make sure they all aren't in cahoots with each other. Correct. You know what I mean? Yep. All right. And in good news, it's like Jeremiah has been taken off of a ventilator and he's starting to recover. So that's a positive thing. That's great. Yes, so let's hope that everything with that turns out okay. And now let's talk about Hitmaker, a.k.a. Youngberg. Now, he was on Drink Champs, and he had some things to say about Notori from 
power and from 3LW and a past relationship that he says that they had that she says never happened. Well, when he was on lip service, here's what he had to say to apologize to Notori. And myself, I will say too, we didn't like that interview you just did. I, I think you could tell the story, but you don't have to say who it is. After I did it, I literally hit Nori like, yo, I don't want this out. I don't want to come out. Please edit it. I will pay for whatever will go on. I felt bad about the fact, you know what I'm saying, after the fact. But I mean, you know, it is my truth. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I should, I didn't, I ain't wanted to come out like that. And I knew they was going to clip it up and make it like a thing like that. And I asked them not to, but they did it anyway. And I apologize once again to her. I wish it never came out. And I'm, I'm sorry about it, for real. He said he asked Nori to take that out, right? Yeah, he did say that he asked Nori to take it out. And actually, Nori said he wants to talk about that, too, because I guess he has his own side. After this interview came out, everybody hit me up. We should call Nori. Yeah, he asked uh, for that to happen. So he did apologize to Notori, but it should have never happened. And I said, as I said before on The Breakfast Club, we didn't play the actual clip because it is disappointing to hear that. So Does Notori accept his apology? Uh, I don't know if he's directly apologized to her, but I think she thought it was whack, and she said that she has never slept with him. Oh, so he lied? That's what she's saying, yes. You said you didn't want to play the clip because it was, because why? I just thought it was extremely offensive. Oh. You should call Nori. All right. Well, that is your rumor report. I'm Angela Yee. All right. Thank you, Miss Yee. <laughs> All right. Now, when we come back, we got the People's Choice Mix. Get your request in 800 585 1051. Y'all want to call Nori? Uh, we got time. We yeah, we'll call Nori. Uh, after the mix, we'll call Nori. Try to get Nori on. See if Nori answers. So don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Your mornings will never be the same. Living large means living with the confidence that you're still living your best life, inside and outside the bedroom. But when it's time to take it to the bedroom, Magnum Large Size Condoms are the choice for maximum comfort, pleasure, and, of course, protection. Live large. Expect the best. Magnum Large Size Condoms. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Uh, again, thank you to Crystal. Thank Salute you to, to Stephanie. Salute to Crystal Carson. Mm-hmm. Salute to Stephanie Young. You know, my partners. Um, yeah. For, and, for, uh, for oh, connecting course, the dots. On President this, Barack Obama. For pre- President Barack Obama. And thank us, man. You know what I'm saying? Thank the goddamn Breakfast Club. Thank DJ Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne the God for putting themselves in a position in 10 years to where... The 44th president of the United States of America felt like this is a place he needed to come. Correct. To talk about a promised land. Okay. Correct. Now, give, give, right. give, give ourselves some credit as well. But, you know, thank you to Crystal Carson and Stephanie mm-hmm. Young for connecting those dots. And yes. Making thank, it happen. Yeah. Thank you to President Barack Obama. Yeah, he was, he was uh, like two, three minutes late. We almost uh, decided not to do the interview because he was running a little late. I was happy he was no, on CP time. No, he didn't. I was happy he was on CP time. Why? Because he's black. Oh. Felt good. <laughs> Felt no, his good. schedule was jam-packed, yeah, though. Was he was jam. doing a lot of different things, so yeah. I know stuff went over. We went over. Yeah, we definitely went over, so it was it was just a great interview. So shout to, uh, again, his whole team and the President Barack, President Barack Obama. It's a great way to, um you know, celebrate 10 years. It'll be 10 years on December 6th for this old breakfast club. Yep. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we've grown and we've evolved a lot, you know? From our very first guest being Ray J to today, interviewing President Barack Obama. Life wow. is good. Isn't God good? God is so great. Wow. But yeah. you got to be open to growth and evolution, though. You know what I'm saying? People limit themselves because they box themselves. And, you know, you can't be afraid to grow. You can't be afraid to evolve. Yep. You're right. You're right. All right. Well, when we come back, positive note, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Don't forget this Saturday. 
is my virtual car show, all right? Something I put together myself where uh, you can use your iPhone, your iPad, your Droid, your computer to check out, you know, close to 100 cars. They're exotic cars, cars from the 90s era, uh, regular cars, hyper cars, exclusive cars, all different things. You can go inside the cars. You can see every aspect of the car. And then there's uh, short videos about the car, whether it's me talking to the celebrity or me talking to the owner of the car or me just explaining the car. Uh, car show is it's it's amazing. So definitely um, check it out. If you want more information, you can click the link in my bio. Do I need glasses or something? Nope. You can do it all from your phone. You don't need glasses or nothing like that. You can do it all interactive. We'll be tuned in. Like, like look through it through the phone? What do you mean? Yeah, like so with your phone, you can go through the phone and you can move the phone and go to parts of the car. So you can really? go in the car. You can see the steering wheel. You can come back out, place the video and everybody talking about Are the Are you car. walking through the virtual video too? Yes. So what happens if, if we may, if we tell you to twerk? Will you Here twerk? Goes. Here it goes. Go ahead. Go ahead, Charlamagne. No. Get. It said it's easy to get inside the car. R- correct. Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> what do you How easy is to get inside DJ and on this virtual app? Yo, I'm just you guys, I thought we just had an elevated day. <laughs> this guy. And listen, after that car show, don't forget that Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. fight is I on Saturday. I can't wait. Also. You and that, hear me? Definitely happening. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's a great weekend. Mike Tyson, Roy Jones fight. I think it's the 25th year, 25th year anniversary of Mary J. Blige, My Life. The reason I know that is because uh, My Life came out on my wife's born day. Mm-hmm. And it's my wife's born day this weekend. So, okay. yeah, it's great. Hey, listen, too, man. Um, while everybody's at home taking advantage of Black Friday sales, please pre-order Tamika Mallory's upcoming book. It's titled State of Emergency. It's available wherever you pre-order books right now. Okay, support our sister. Our sister's always on the front lines fighting for us. So, uh, you know, now is, is your turn to, to, to assist her. You know, people are always asking, how can I help Untell Freedom? Well, this is one way, goddammit. All right? Go out there and support um, Tamika Mallory, her new book, State of Emergency. It, it comes out May 11th, but it's available for pre-order right now everywhere you buy books. So um, make sure you, you, you grab a copy of that. It's called State of Emergency, all right? They, oh, salute to my man, Mr. Todd, too, man. Hey, Mr. Todd... I, I'm going to meet Mr. Todd later today to pick up some sweet potato pies. <laughs> Ain't nobody sweet potato pies better than Mr. Todd. The only person sweet potato pie who remotely comes close is my grandma, God bless the dead, and my uh, mother-in-law. My Mr. Todd's sweet potato pies are phenomenal, and I'm going to pick up a couple today for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Salute to my man, Mr. Todd. You go ahead with that sweet potato pie. All right. Oh, I'm going to get some. Would you like a slice? <laughs> no, I'm bad. <laughs> he was on a positive note, man. The positive note is simply this, man. Um... You confront all you want, but the universe responds to the real you, not who you pretend to be. Breakfast Club, bitches! We all finished or y'all done?